dude, you are like Mr. Life is too short guy. Everything is rah-rah, happy, grateful, get it done today, no time for tomorrow. And I was like, yeah, Kevin, I, I guess that's, I know that, but I never thought of it that way. There will be setbacks, there will be pivots, there will be things that may not go your way. But why start the day with a negative roadmap when you can start the day with the power of positivity? There's my point is even at your worst moment in life, there's an opportunity to do small things. Anyone you talk to in the company would tell you it's a big part of who we are, what we do, it's why we have such a strong and powerful culture. And I think these principles can really transform companies and cultures. Hey, my dear listeners, welcome back for yet another episode of Inspire Someone Today with one more inspirer joining us. We all have heard this phrase, life is too short, guys. And here is someone who has literally taken the phrase to a completely different level, has authored a book. He calls himself the happiest guy you will ever meet. After spending over a decade in investment banking on the Wall Street, our guest took a chance and became an entrepreneur and business builder. Today, he is chairman and CEO of a public real estate company. Scott, like I said, is on a mission to make the world happier one smile at a time. It's an absolute joy to have you on the show, Scott. Welcome to Inspire Someone today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm grateful to be here. Wonderful. So we'll jump right in, Scott. How did this whole journey of being an author, being on this mission of making the world happier one smile at a time, the life is too short guy, start off. What's the backstory? So the backstory is I've always wanted to write a book. You know, I have this long list of, of things that I want to do in my life. And I set them as goals, as challenges, as someday I'm going to. And someday I was going to write a book. And I've been talking about it probably for oh, at least five years, maybe even 10 years. And I never really knew what or how or when. And during COVID, I started working with a, a new executive coach. I like working with different coaches. And I was working with a coach. And in my second session with the coach, after we did a preliminary assessment in the first session, he said to me exactly like this. I remember he said, dude, you are like Mr. Life is too short guy. Everything is rah-rah, happy, grateful, get it done today, no time for tomorrow. And I was like, yeah, Kevin, I, I guess that's, I know that, but I never thought of it that way. And then I mentioned to my wife that night, and, and I'm very grateful and fortunate. I've been with my wife a, a very long time. We've been together for 30 plus years. And she said to me, she's like, yeah, life is too short, guy. I could see that. Maybe, maybe that's your book. And I said to her, I'm like, that's my book. What, what would that book be about? What did the life is too short guy? And, and I, I sort of then let it, I thought about it for the next couple of weeks. She had planted the seed. She followed up a little a couple of days later and said, hey, have you thought about the, the book and the life is too short guy? And is there an idea there? And I then wrote some notes and I started outlining it. And this was probably early 2021. And then I, I got busy. I got distracted. I put the pen down. I put it away. And then early in 2022, I came across someone else. So, you know, multiple people have come across my life that impacted this, that actually has his own publishing company, teaches people how to write books. And, and I did a call with him. His name is Eric. And I talked to Eric about, yeah, I get this concept. Life is too short, guy, but I'm not sure where it's going. And he could tell, he said, by my energy, by my passion, by what I was saying, that I was going to figure it out. And I spent all of 2022 writing it. It came out 
very early in 2023. I'm very excited to say that uh, about two, three weeks ago, it became an Amazon bestseller. And just uh, this weekend, it was it, it received its first award. It was nominated and received the uh, Literary Titan Gold Book Award. So I've been recognized as an award-winning author, and I'm very excited about it. That's the quick backstory on the journey. It's been a fun one. There's a backstory to this backstory of the Life is Too Short guy, which is about Scott White. Tell us a bit about yourself. How did you end up being what you are doing today? So the author part is new. This is my first book and and it's not my full-time job, though I'll tell you I'm having the time of my life. I'm having so much fun with this and maybe someday it will be my full-time job. But the the quick backstory is I went to university and graduated and became an accountant for a few years. I worked as as an accountant for a couple of years and I went to law school. I graduated law school and decided I didn't want to be a lawyer. So I went right into Wall Street investment banking finance. I did that for about 15 years. Then about a decade, ago. Some other people, I switched over to the real estate business. And today I run a publicly traded company called Invesc. That is a healthcare oriented real estate company. So we own and operate seniors housing, assisted living, memory care, nursing homes, medical office buildings across the United States and a few in Canada. I mean, that's my day job. That's my commitment. I'm chairman and CEO of that. I'm also a partner in a student housing development company. But my real passion right now is telling people about the Life is Too Short guy. And I'm on a mission to make the world happier one smile at a time. That's wonderful. We heard the backstory to your book. We heard your backstory. And the Life is Too Short a guy philosophy. What is this all about? Why do you think this is important where we are in the world today? And how did you even develop this uh, life is too short guy philosophy? So let's start with the important element. I think it's vitally important because I, as as I watched through COVID and the post-COVID era, it really became a personal mission for me to, to start to transform the dialogue. Every time I talk to people, every time I meet with people, I ask them to stop focusing on all the negativity, all the pessimism, all the bad, all the, you know, we're dealing with a, a global pandemic. We're dealing with a war in Europe. We're dealing with all the, the other, the litany of issues that we deal with in society, whether it's homelessness or hunger or poverty or politics or whatever the case may be. There's always a positive angle to it, a positive spin to it. I want to really make people smile. I want to make people think in a different way. I want to change the perspective. And the philosophy is really a very practical day-to-day blocking and tackling. And, And what I mean by that is I was very deliberate, very deliberate when I wrote the book. This is not an academic book. This is not a philosophical book. This is not a book full of all sorts of statistics and studies. There's some of that in there. But this is a book that's one very easy and quick to read by design. I want everyone. So so a lot of times people ask me, who's your target audience? And my answer is literally everyone. And my question back to anyone that asked me that is who wouldn't want to live a happier life? You're graduating from, from high school. You're graduating from college. You're, you're starting a new job. You're moving to a new city. You're involved in a new relationship. You're dealing with a setback in your life. You're dealing with maybe you just kind of feel like you're stuck. You're worn down. You don't know where you're going. These are all things we all deal with as humans. And I want people to have a toolbox of simple ideas, simple concepts. So the book itself is laid out with 10 principles. And my goal is to illustrate each of those principles with either a personal story, story of someone else. So there are a lot of wonderful people that I interview on my journey that I talk about their major aha moments. They've had setbacks. They've had something happen to them 
and have learned from it. And I want the readers and your listeners to take away, well, wait a sec, there are a couple of simple principles that I can apply. And I don't have to wait for that proverbial kick in the head. I don't have to wait for uh, an injury, a medical diagnosis, uh, maybe dealing with a death, maybe dealing with a divorce or some sort of, of real crisis in my life. Today, today could be my opportunity to live a happier life. And that's how I set up the book. And that, that's my goal. That's the, uh, I call it the Litzig philosophy, L-I-T-S-G, life is too short guy, Litzig. And there are 10 simple principles associated with it. What are some of those principles? So the, the foundational one, the most important one, I think, and it's the one that runs through all the other principles is attitude is everything, the power of positivity. And I spent a lot of time talking about how important it is to think about your perspective, to think about your attitude, to think about, you know, I start the book and I start with one of the, the easiest tools I tell people is I'll ask people all the time, what was your first thought when you woke up this morning? Do you remember what your first thought was? It's a great morning. It's a great morning. Well, that's wonderful, but you'd be amazed how many people don't have that perspective. I would put people into three kind of buckets. And I say people put on three lenses in the morning. They put on three sets of glasses. There are a majority of people I talk to don't know how to answer that question. They're like, I don't know. I don't remember what I was thinking. They, they wake up sort of with neutral glasses, right? There isn't a perspective. There are a large number of people that wake up with, a, oh, I'm tired. It's cold. It's dark. I don't want to go to work. I can't believe it's Monday. I have so much to do. I, I don't want to see so-and-so. I, I can't believe whatever. The negative lenses. It is so easy to just open your eyes and put on a pair of positive lenses to see the world exactly as you said. Good morning. Happy Monday. Best Tuesday ever. What a wonderful Thursday. I don't know. I'm just making up days. It doesn't really matter. Happy March. Happy spring. Happy fill in the blank with whatever it is. Grateful to be in bed. Grateful to have a roof over my head. Grateful to go down and have some breakfast. By the way, this is 10 seconds in the day and you've already gotten the wheels moving in terms of what I call attitude is everything, the power of positivity. Now, to be fair, you can't control what's going to happen to you throughout the day. There will be setbacks. There will be pivots. There will be things that may not go your way. But why start the day with a negative roadmap when you could start the day with the power of positivity? And that's the foundational principle and principle number one. You want me to walk you through a couple more principles? So uh, the second principle is somewhat similar is choose your attitude and own it. I would say it's very much related to attitude is everything, but choose your attitude and own it. You know, most people think that their happiness is driven primarily or substantially by what's happening to them at that time. A new car, a new job, uh, a new relationship, a new house, a big paycheck, a promotion, or maybe something negative, maybe a, a death or an illness, an injury, a, a divorce, and that is going to control their long-term happiness. And most people don't realize this, but the outside world only controls 10% of your happiness. 10%. Most people are shocked to hear that. 10% of your happiness is predicted by and related to your circumstance. Now, 50% of your happiness is in part tied to your genetic makeup. Just like your hair color and your eye color, you are genetically predisposed to have a certain perspective or attitude. However, what's beautiful about that is you take the 50%, you add the 10%, that's 60%. 40% of the pie is entirely controlled by you and your perspective, how you view the world, how you approach the world. Think about how many decisions you make in your life. And if you could control 40% of the outcomes, that'd be amazing. You can control 40% of the outcomes and to a certain degree, you control some of the external factors in your life. Almost half of your happiness is how you react to things as opposed to the new car, the new house, whatever the case may be. So 
choose your attitude and own it is the second one. The third principle is little things make a big difference. And this one's really important because one of my goals in, in writing this book and in talking to people is that you don't have to change your whole life and your whole perspective. This isn't a philosophy about you're doing it all wrong and now you're going to do it entirely differently because most people won't do that. Most people will tune that out or maybe try something for a couple of days and then give up. The point of little things make a big difference is there's such tiny little things that you're already kind of doing, but maybe not thinking about or not being proactive and deliberate about that can help make you live a happier, more fulfilling life. So let me give you some simple examples. I mean, they're so simple that, that you're almost going to look at me like, really, that's the idea. But the idea is that if you think about it proactively, the first one, the simplest one is smile. Smile often, smile more, smile as we smile. It creates chemicals in our brains that make us happier and it makes those around us happier. So while people are listening to this, they're like, oh, so, so smile, that, that's the concept. Now I'm going to push harder and say, smile right now as you're listening to smile for one second and think about how that feels. And then when you get home tonight, smile again. When you wake up in the morning, smile again. And when you get to the office, smile again. And when your kids come home from school, smile again. And when you're making dinner, smile again. And I can keep going through all these things. But if you start proactively thinking, you know what? Ha, huh, that feels good. That's a small way of adding happiness. You know, we don't celebrate enough. Here's another small things make a big difference. Spend more time celebrating. Spend more time acknowledging and recognizing the small wins in life. You don't need a major promotion. You don't need a major award to celebrate. <laughs> celebrate all the small things. You know, one of the things that I did with my family last year around the holidays toward year end, we went to dinner and I, I brought an iPad with me. Nobody even noticed I was carrying it into the restaurant. I put it on the table as we're at dinner. This is December. And I open up a presentation. I have two teenage daughters who look at me like I'm insane. What is dad doing at, at the dinner table? And in this presentation that I created, were six pages. There's one page for each of my daughters, one for my wife, one for me, one for us as a collective family, and one for my wife and I as a couple. There were six pages, and on it was a long list of bullet points of everything we accomplished that we should celebrate for that year. And it was a simple exercise and a simple tool to say, look, you did X or Y, and it doesn't have to be finding the cure for cancer. It doesn't have to be some major, you know, winning a Nobel Prize. Small wins make a big difference. Celebrate small wins. I tell people to look for symbols of happiness around them. You know, poems or quotes or pictures or you know, maybe you have that coffee mug in the morning that says smile or that coffee mug that says that be happy or that shirt that says stay positive. We sometimes need triggers, right? We get caught up in our daily lives where we're on this treadmill, we're running, we're, we're in a hurry, we don't pay attention and we forget. Sometimes small reminders make a big difference. Those are a couple of the Little things make a big difference concept. There are a few more in there too. That's very interesting. We'll definitely leave at the show note the link to the book. And what you did say makes a lot of sense. Celebrate small wins. Have a positive attitude towards what and how you look at things. Stuff like that. And again, being the devil's advocate out here, Scott, for somebody who's having a tough day, tough year, tough life, all of this sounds very utopian. Yeah, you can afford to do all of these things because everything is going great. But there are things that is not looking great for me. How do I even think about happiness when I cannot make two square meals come to my table? So, you know, I get asked that question a lot. It's a great question. And, and my answer is that, that happiness is a relative scale, not an absolute scale. So there isn't, uh, I'm reaching this metric of happiness. 
And when I say it's relative, it's relative to my current situation, not relative to you or my neighbor or my friend or some other part of, of the world or society. So what I'd say to people is we all have setbacks, right? And, and it's easy to say, oh, look at you, you X, Y, Z. But if you don't think I've had setbacks and, and have had things that I've had to overcome in my life, we all do. So the idea is to take these concepts and even if you're having the worst day of your life, you could still smile, by the way. It's not that hard. Now, I'm not suggesting that as you're having the worst day of your life, smiling is going to make it the best day of your life. And I'm not suggesting that as you're having the worst day of your life, looking for small wins to celebrate is going to make you so much happier. But what if it made you a little bit happy? And what if every person in the world could do one thing every day to be a little bit happier? Could you imagine the ripple effect and what it would mean for society if we all had a slightly more positive attitude, a slight smile a little more, celebrate a little bit more, laugh a little bit more? You know, one of the other concepts that I didn't get to is funny things are everywhere. We can find humor everywhere. And I literally mean everywhere. And the ability to laugh at oneself, I tell this story in the book, which is really going to answer one of your question, your last question now with a real example. Look, Scott, sometimes people have setbacks and how do they apply these principles? Well, you know, my father passed away about 17 years ago now. And, and I would tell you that was one of the hardest times of my life. So that was a real setback for me. He was fairly young. I was fairly young. And I'm at my, my father's funeral. And the, it's at the beginning of the funeral with just the immediate family. So I'm there with my brother and, and our spouses and see my dad in the coffin and it's open, right? So I could actually see him and there are people in the other room, kind of the guests that are showing up and my phone rings, right? So you want to talk about worst, one of the worst moments of my life, right? I'm, I'm actually now looking at my, my deceased father, my phone rings. And I think a lot of people would have a reaction like, oh, I can't believe they, I forgot to mute my phone. I can't believe he forgot to mute his phone. Or they'll have a reaction, you know, to, to scramble as quickly as they can to, to shut it off. I didn't. The principle that I talk about is funny things are everywhere. Remember, I'm at my father's funeral. I'm looking at my father. I grab the phone out of my pocket. I hold it up to my ear. I'm looking down at my dad and just half jokingly, I'm like, hey, dad, what's up? How you doing? What are you up to these days? Everyone in the room, right? You smile. Everyone in the room sort of looked at me for half a second, like, wait a second. Did he just do that? And then everyone started laughing. There's my point is even at your worst moment in life, there's an opportunity to do small things. And that's one of the key principles of, of this book. And one of the things I keep emphasizing on, it's not about changing your whole life. But if you make small changes, you can live a happier life and change the world around. you. That's so very true. As we kind of speak on this, a couple of things that kind of caught my attention as I was reading through the book was one, the beautiful eulogy that you spoke uh, for your dad and the other piece was you can't make it alone you need to enlist support along the way to kind of achieve what you would want to do so maybe few tips and tricks around how do you kind of follow this what are some of the practices one can take to achieve this objective well Sri, i'm so glad you brought that up because that that's Really, I think one of the more powerful concepts, I talked before about the power of positivity as being the underlying concept, right? That, that underlies everything. But can't make it alone is a very powerful concept. And in the book, I talk about uh, a, the longest running longitudinal study. It's one of the few studies I talk about in the book on what makes a good life. The study started at Harvard University in the late 1930s. And it's still running today. 85 years later, they had a, an original cohort of 256 Harvard sophomores, I believe it was. And then a few years later, they added a second cohort of about 450 some odd 
inner city youth, people that, that weren't at Harvard, people that had different backgrounds. So in total, that over 700 participants in the study that the Harvard researchers have followed for the last 80 plus years. And obviously not all of the participants are still alive, but they're following their children, their grandchildren, in-depth questionnaires, physical exams, mental health assessments. Anyway, it is a trove of massive data on what makes a good life. And the key takeaway, like you could summarize 85 years and thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, I don't know, of pages of data into one or two sentences. And the most important thing to live a happy life, to what makes a good life, is the power of relationships. The happiest people, the healthiest people surrounded themselves and had strong relationships. In fact, the, the one kind of statistic that really stuck with me that I love, I, I mean, there's so many wonderful statistics, but if you got to summarize a statistic or two that just gives you that wow factor, So those that at age 50 self-identified as having the strongest relationships at age 80 were the happiest, physically healthiest, and mentally healthiest. Think about how powerful that is. There's a direct correlation. Those that had the self-identified, so they said, look, I have great relationships, powerful relationships at age 50, 30 years later, were the happiest and healthiest. That is so incredibly powerful as you think about the power of relationships and you think about You know, I ask people, do you have go-to people? Do you have people that you trust? Do you have people that'll be there for you? Do you have people that that you confide in? Do you have relationships that matter to you? And if not, here's another small thing you could start doing today. Go build those relationships. It's never too late in life. And for the the introvert on the call or the the person that's like, yeah, I'm kind of shy, I don't know, just get out there and build relationships. Look for relationships. Figure out what you're interested in, what you're passionate about. Find people that have similar interests. This could be friends, relatives, people you work with. There, there's a number of studies that show the most productive workers have close personal relationships in the office. So this is transferable, family, friendships, business. It is so incredibly important to surround yourself with people that, that you know you can count on to build those relationships. And I give a number of tools in the book that, again, are very simple. They're, they're not sort of earth-moving or shatter, earth-shattering that help you grow and strengthen your relationships. I would challenge your listeners to think now, how much time are you investing in your relationships, right? We invest in the stock market. We invest in our physical health. We go to the gym. We invest in our maybe nutrition. We think about what we eat. Are you investing time, energy, and resources in your friendships? And if not, there are a lot of easy things you can do. The secret sauce out there is the secret of happiness is not the materialistic wealth, but it is a strong relationship. Foundation of happiness is strong relationship. Okay, here we are with the power of three round with Scott. Scott, three routines that is so unique to you. Three routines unique to me. I try to keep a very consistent sleep pattern. I go to sleep best I can at the same time and wake up early every day. I try to exercise almost every day. And I try to commit time to my family every day. Three important routines for me. Wonderful. Three pieces of advice that you provide to your older self. Three pieces of advice from my older self. Well, I'm going to use pieces of advice from the book because I think I, this is something that I'm going to stick with for the rest of my life. And, and that's um, make the most of every day. Focus on gratefulness, happiness, and positivity. And just try to find one that's not in the book. I would say don't sweat the small stuff. You know, it's something I've been working on personally, and it's not in the book. That's not a concept in the book. But spending too much energy and resources on 
things that are draining and maybe not that important. So focus on the big picture. Don't sweat the small stuff. I thought another advice that you would say is, Scott, why have you not written many more books than what you thought you could write? There could be more books in the offing. Wonderful. Looking forward to that. Three individuals you would love to have dinner or lunch with. Well, you know, I'd do anything to have, I guess, dinner with my parents again. Both my parents are deceased and I miss them dearly. And they were a major influence on my life. And I certainly talk about them in the book. So I, there's no doubt I would love to have dinner with my mom and dad again. One other person I would want to have dinner with. Well, I'm trying to think of some major historical figure that's just you know, I don't know if I have a good answer to that. I, I'm sort of stumped there. I'm, I'm really focused more on family that I miss. You know, I, I, I'm going to bail out on this one and give you a weak answer. I don't know if it's the strongest answer, but it, it's really going to be family. I, I'd love to, to have dinner again with family that aren't around anymore. And I talk a lot about that in the book about em, embracing those moments with your family. It doesn't last forever. Coming from an author, three book recommendations. Three book recommendations. Okay. So I'm going to go with the last three books I read. I love to read. I love to actually listen to books a lot. And I try to probably do 20, 25 books a year. I at least try. And I'm currently reading The Great Age Reboot. The Great Age Reboot. Peter Lindemann is is one of the authors. I forget the other two. But just a an amazing sort of rethinking. What happens when we all live a lot longer? You know, we're on the edge of major medical breakthroughs. You know, the your 50s and 60s are really what your 30s and 40s used to be. And people are going to easily live into their hundreds. Like, that's not going to be a stretch. And what does that mean for society? What does that mean for us individually if, if we as a society live an extra 20 years life expectancy? It's, it's pretty powerful. I'm reading that right now. I'd say the last book I read before this is The Good Life, which is the most recent book out on that Harvard study that I was talking about. There have been a number of books out. But the current study directors put out The Good Life about, say, six weeks ago. And it's really, I mean, there's just so much fascinating information in there. So those are two nonfiction books. I'm going to flip over to a realistic fiction book that I just read this year called The Invisible Child by a New York Times, excuse me, author about two years ago. If I remember correctly, it was the 2021 you know, I wouldn't even say it's fiction. I'm, I'm sorry. It is really nonfiction. 2021, number one nonfiction book on the New York Times bestseller. And it follows a, a inner city family through the, the daily grind of living in poverty and homelessness and focuses in particular on a child that, you know, she was at the start of the book, I want to say 12 or 13, and it follows her for a few years. And, and it really is eye-opening about how people live different lives and, and, Maybe what, how the world views them versus their reality. Um, so I, I'd recommend those three. The Great Age Reboot, The Good Life, and The Invisible Child. That's some wonderful titles out there. The last of the power of three round question for you, Scott. Three stories that had an impact on you in the creation of Life is Too Short Guy. Okay, that one's easy. The, I'm going to give you four. Can I give you four? Actually, I'll blend the last two together. So as I talk about in the book, there were four major moments in my life that I think impacted me that the philosophy itself evolved over time. There wasn't a major sort of one day I woke up and I'm like, I'm the life is too short guy. It was really an evolutionary thing. But I'd say the four things that really impacted me are, are three to answer your question because I'll blend the last two that really impacted me. The first one was when I was 10 years old. 10 years old, I'm, I'm working around the house with my father, very handy. I wish I was as handy as, as he is and or was. And we were redoing uh, a bedroom in the house, new paneling, new lights, new windows, new doors, everything. And we were, we were almost done. And he's cutting a piece of paneling and I hear him yell. And I look up and he's holding his finger and, and looking down at it. He had cut his finger and my mom comes and looks at it. And they decide that he has to go to the emergency room to get it looked at. 
He goes off to the emergency room, and in the middle of the night, my mom wakes me to tell me that dad had a heart attack in the emergency room. And, you know, the, the next kind of week he spent in the hospital. Now, this was mid 1980s. So, healthcare was a little bit different in the mid 1980s. And I'm not suggesting a heart attack is not serious today. A heart attack is very serious. But 1980s, it was considerably more serious. And he spent a week in the hospital after the heart attack. And then a couple weeks later, he flew across the country, actually, in the United States. He, there were very few doctors that did bypass surgery in 1984. And he flew to a hospital in Texas to have bypass surgery. And remember, we didn't have cell phones or real-time texts or, you know, I hadn't heard from them in a couple of days. And I remember 10 years old being in my, my grandparents' house sitting on the floor playing with some cars and, and trucks and toys and the phone rang and my, my grandmother calling me to grab the phone. I remember holding the phone up to my ear and, and hearing, Scott, Scott, it's dad. And I just remember just falling to the ground hysterical in tears, like everything that had built up for the last, call it six weeks in a 10-year-old head and realizing how close I was to losing my dad at 10 years old. Just That was a, a major milestone epiphany in my life that, that was foundational to this book and my philosophy. And the second one was 9-11. On the events that transpired on 9-11, I worked in downtown New York City. I walked by the World Trade Center about 20, 25 minutes before the first plane crashed. I walked right by that building. I was in an office tower about eight blocks north of the World Trade Center. I was on a conference call and I heard the first plane hit the building. I didn't see it. I heard it. I then went around the south side of the building and watched the smoke pour out of the building. And as I stood there, I watched the second plane come down the Hudson River, bank on its side and crash into the building. I then watched both buildings collapse. And over the next sort of couple of weeks, I lived in that area and watched the world unfold around 9-11. That certainly impacted me in a meaningful way. I would tell you that the day before 9-11, on September 10th, I was really focused on my career in Wall Street and investment banking. And about a month later, my wife and I decided it was time to start a family. And about 13 months later, we had our first daughter. So that had a meaningful impact on us. And then I'll blend the last two together, which was certainly the deaths of both my parents. I lost both my parents at fairly young ages. My dad was 65. My mom was 70. And that really impacted me, really pushed me to grow up in a big way and really pushed me to reflect on life is too short. Those are powerful stories. So appreciate you sharing that, Scott. That brings us to the close of the power of three round. Moving on, you are the chairman and CEO of a public company. How do you see the Litz G at work? Are these principles applicable even in a corporate world? Are you kind of walking the talk in your organization and how easy or difficult it is? Absolutely. It's a big part of what we do in our office. And there are a number of things in the book I talk about from the work setting. It's not a business book, to be clear. And I was very careful not to make it a business book. But all the principles are transferable. And I would encourage people to bring these principles to the office. I'm very proud to say that our company has been recognized as one of the best places to work in the region that we're in for the last four years in a row. We just got the, the news again a couple about a week ago that we've been named to the list for the fourth year in a row. And it's in part because we bring a lot of these principles to the office. We bring principles about the power of positivity, about funny things are everywhere. We bring principles about passion. We bring principles about gratefulness, happiness. They, there's no doubt it permeates our entire company. And I think anyone you talk to in the company would tell you it's a big part of who we are, what we do. It's why we have such a strong and powerful culture. And I think these principles can really transform companies and cultures. And tell us a bit about maximizing happiness and fulfillment every day. What is Scott's practice around this concept of maximizing happiness and fulfillment every day? So it's taking the principles and 
and looking at the world through a positive lens and excuse me, focusing on how I'm using my time. You know, one of the concepts I talk about in the book is minutes matter. We only have so many minutes in our life. How are you using them? I do not, do not make a judgment on how people choose to use their minutes. But I ask people to think about, do you realize how you're using your minutes? Are you using them to maximize happiness? Are you using them to do things that, that you enjoy? You know, maximizing happiness and fulfillment is, is enjoying life. It's waking up every day like we talked about before with that positive lens. It's going about the day, even when there's setbacks and saying, you know what? This isn't that bad. I can overcome this. I got this. I'm happy. I'm, it's being that guy that's whistling all the time, that guy that's singing, that guy that's, that's saying hi to strangers. You know, talk to people around you. Everyone has a story. Everyone wants to talk. So when you talk, when you go buy that cup of coffee, really engage with the barista, the, the person pouring your coffee and get to know them. This is how I live a, a happy and fulfilling life. Scott, it's been wonderful conversation talking about happiness, talking about making the world happier one smile at a time. And this is that time in the show where we ask our guests to share their Inspire Someone Today message because this show is all about creating ripples of inspiration. So what's your Inspire Someone Today message for all the listeners out here? Make the most of today. Tomorrow is not promised. Today is your day. Listen to this and take it as your wake-up call to go out and smile, enjoy life, be happy, be positive, be grateful. You have the ability to control your own outcomes. Take this as a call to action. Don't let it just go over your head. Make changes, be happy, smile, and enjoy life. That was my dear listeners. The life is too short, guys. Scott White talking to us about the principles, the philosophies of what is life too short guy means all about. Before we sign off, Scott, thank you so much for taking time and sharing your insights with us. Take a chance and get it done today. That's exactly what we did. We took a chance, spoke about this subject, spoke about this topic so that our listeners can be happier one smile at a time. Thank you for listening into today's edition of Inspire Someone Today. It's been a privilege to bring in these conversations. If you like this episode and have any feedback or comments, do mail me at inspiresomeonetodaypodcast at the rate gmail.com. Inspiring someone is like creating ripples around us. If you like what to listen, feel free to share them and let's create ripples of inspiration. Do not forget to follow me on my Instagram handle at the rate inspiresomeonetodaypodcast for all the latest updates. This is Srikanth, your host, signing off. And until next time, keep inspiring.